Welcome back to the Scions of the Southland recap show. Uh, as always, my name is Akshay Schwarin, and joining me is a man who has been messing with numbers recently, Mr. Jake Grant. How are you tonight, sir? I'm doing fine. Uh, me and my good pal Matlab have had quite a time lately. Welcome to Georgia Tech. Welcome to Georgia Tech, indeed. It is finals week here on the Flats. Uh, a very interesting finals week, uh, especially for our podcast scheduling, as we are recording this uh, approximately eight hours before it's scheduled to go up. Uh, so we are going to steal another segment from our good old friends at Split Zone Duo and do a uh, do a lightning round here. 35 minutes on the clock. You uh, you ready to go, pal? Yes, sir. Let's uh, let's knock this out. All right. And three. Two, one, here we go. Non-revenue sports news. Women's basketball won another game this week uh, over Tulane. But uh, Tulane hung around for quite a bit longer than they probably should have. Thoughts? Um, Yeah, we were up two at the half. We started really slow, uh, fell into a six-point hole, and didn't get much going in the first uh, at the half, we were up to 23-21. That is a football score. That is not a basketball halftime score. Uh, but we did play. Hey, not in Virginia. Uh, fair. Um, but uh, we we did pull it out in the end. So that's what matters. But we let an eight-point uh, third-quarter lead turn into, well, not that with a minute to play. Uh, but, in, you know, we you win some, you lose some, you win some ugly. Um but uh, it, they they did what it takes. I think Lorella Kubai gets a big star of the game. Uh, our true freshman off the bench, uh, Leah Love, looked good with 10 points. Um, but I think the biggest question is when will Lodamai Latinin kind of get that scoring spark we need her to be. But in the meantime, Lorella Kubai is held up. And I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough year. They have a really short bench. Uh, most of their scrimmages only have like, the minimum of players so and that's something coaches said a couple times so again we want to keep expectations high but also realist and i think given the constraints and it's still being early i'm still okay with what i've seen yeah and we still haven't seen Kier fletcher uh play a minute for his team so he can only really go up from here exactly um i found an rpi source uh that was a sketchy website that had us at 18 georgia at 15 and tulane at 66 but then I realized that those numbers were probably too good to be true. And the NCAA has us all around 64, 66, and like 175, respectively, which matches the smell test a little better. But at the end of the day, a win's a win. And uh, we're going into ACC play this week. Good stuff. There is no ACC Big Ten challenge for women's basketball for reasons but there is for the men uh and they will play nebraska later this week but uh before that they played in the holiday hoops giving tournament or invitational i don't know what it's called um in state farm arena uh, downtown and they beat kentucky by 17 explain please um, well, I watched the first half and about half the second half before tuning in on the radio for most of the rest of the way because I had to go drive somewhere. But um, in the first half, we did this thing called limiting turnovers, and, and it did carry over to the second. But 
Georgia Tech forced a lot of turnovers, and that put them ahead by a decent amount at the half. And and when you keep up that great game plan early, there's really not much uh, you really need to change in the second. Our offense got a little more effective, and uh, you know when when shots fall and it looked you know it looked like a different team. It looked like they're playing together better, and uh, I really can't really can't knock that. Josh Pastner did Josh Pastner executed his offensive and defensive philosophy to a T. And I I think this is the brand of basketball he really wants to be playing. And you don't have to score a ton, but you still win by 17. And that's, that's that gritty defense plus, you know, uh, somewhat offensive execution. Yeah. And I think uh, important to note, Moses Wright had 21. Um, This is also the first time a Calipari assistant has beat John Calipari. So that is uh, very cool. Very, very cool. Uh, Saban hasn't had that yet, despite, you know, numerous overtures from uh, over out there in the eastern part of the country. So uh, there's that. But it it really makes you think about sort of what changed after those first two disastrous games uh, versus Mercer and Georgia State and, and what we saw on, what was this, Saturday? Sunday night? Sunday. Sunday night. Sunday night. Um, all the days blend together at this point. Um, it, it does sort of, you know, beg the question, what's changed? I think Pastor touched a, a little bit about that on his in his press conferences uh, heading into this game, um, talking about uh, the lack of contact at practices and how they just hadn't gelled as a team uh, without as strenuous practices. Um, I think that's something we touched on last week. Super admirable that he was, you know, willing to go the distance with COVID regulations. But from strictly a sporting perspective, um, that does not help you win games. I think uh, as much as it might help you avoid infection. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, I thought you were done there. But um, he's very similarly uh, admirable to Jeff Collins wanting to limit uh, his most high contact parts of practice. And we saw how that worked out for our. uh, place kicking in um in football and and you know there's there's realities and there's risks and i hate to say that it's a trade off like we don't want that to be a thing you know but georgia tech i think having two games under their belt probably helped as well um just seeing live reps getting a full extra 20 minutes of play against georgia state obviously didn't translate against uh mercer but we looked a lot more like the basketball team that left the floor in Clemson uh, in March than we did the one that left the floor against Mercer last Sunday. So I, I think that's, or not last Sunday, last Friday. I think that's something to uh, hang your hat on at least. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to Jeff Collins and his football team's escapades in Raleigh in a bit, but first let's recap uh, the ag- other action in the ACC. Uh, I, being shorthanded and also late at night, don't have the times for these games next to me, so we're just gonna we're just gonna read these off. Uh, Jeff Collins and Paul Johnson's alma mater, Western Carolina nine, North Carolina forty nine. Yep. Uh, it I happened. This game. I have no comments. <laughs> I'm sure not many people do. Moving on. Syracuse twenty one, number two Notre Dame forty five. Uh, played him closer than I was giving giving him credit for, but uh, in the end, the game ended the way we all thought it would. 
Yep. Cuse, uh, Cuse had him for that first quarter. It seemed like it was going to be a struggle. And then Notre Dame boat raced him in the second quarter. And this is like a routine thing that Notre Dame has done to teams this season where they will sort of start out pretty slow in the first quarter and then make even good teams look like UMass the rest of the way. And it's an incredible credit to defensive coordinator Clark Allais, uh, yeah. for making those adjustments. Yeah, and they definitely uh, – you could say similar things about their game against NC or UNC. They just got good later than they did in this game and uh, against the game uh, that we played against them. So, you know, I, I think it's a uh, a hallmark of this team. Mm-hmm. Moving right along, Boston College 32, UVA 43. I believe this was Boston College's first game this season without Phil Dracovic. Um, yeah, I was I was surprised to see it be as much of a shootout as it was regardless. But, um, you know, it's one of those ACC games that middle of the pack, kind of whatever happens is going to happen, you know. Coastal chaos? Yeah. Well, yeah. as close as you can they, get. They made the whole conference out of the Coastal this season, Jake. Uh, moving on, number three, Clemson 45, Virginia Tech 10. You know what? Halftime, Virginia Tech was in this one, and then I don't think they scored a point the entire rest of the way. Yeah, uh, that's because Virginia Tech is no Clemson. (laughs) That's because Virginia Tech, uh, you know, has some some question marks a lot of places. I do know that they suffered two or three QB injuries in this one, so we hope those guys are okay. But uh, lots of of question marks uh, all around that program, I feel like. Yeah. And then the final game of the day, number 10, Miami basically sits on Duke 48 to zip. That is Miami's first ACC shutout. Fun fact. Been in the conference 16, 15 seasons Uh, and only getting once, despite having a divisional system built for them to be in the title game every year. Yeah, well, (laughs) go Canes, right? (laughs) You win some, you lose some, and apparently you uh, you really screw up some. So congratulations, Duke. All right. Now we're going to talk right. about our boys. We are going to talk about them boys that went down to Raleigh this weekend. Unfortunately, they did suffer a 23-13 loss. Uh, let's, let's bring back the good cop, bad cop bit from, from last week while we – have our remaining 25 minutes here. Give me give me your good takes. What good takes do you have from this game? Uh, with half the defensive starters being out, I think our defense only holding a pretty decent NC State team to 23 points is uh, definitely a high point. Is, is that it? That, um, that's I'm it? Trade, trade them off. Um, on offense, oh, okay. um, the run game looked good. I wish we would have stuck to it more. Um, I liked how Adonicus was playing. Um, false starts, obviously, that's killed us all year, but can't really do much about that. Hey, and, hey, uh, hey, 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 hey. Stay, stick to your side of the shot sheet here. Well, th- this is before I pull off the mask and just start yelling about refing. But, um, but yeah, no. We'll uh, get there. Held on to the ball all right, but definitely uh, – that was just because we got back on top of it when we did let it go, but that's your thing, uh, and I need to stop doing that. You're, you're and, slipping um, here. 
Let's see. You're, one you're grasping at straws. We uh, made two field goals in the same game. In the same game. For the first, you know, it was the first attempted field goals in uh, since week two, week one. Week, yeah, week I, two. I think the uh, <laughs> the last one we attempted wound up in the West Stands, I kid you not, or something close to that. Um, so. uh, yeah, I mean, field goal kicking, as we referred to before, it was an, uh, was an adventure. Yeah, well, um, before I start yelling about refing, let me hear your bad cop takes. Okay, let's go some. Let's do some bad cop here. Uh, offensively, this team, like point blank, I will say it was ineffective most of the night. Like it was just very frustrating to watch uh, us just not be able to move the ball on this NC State defense. And I think our writers room had some good points. Um, especially when that middle of that field was seemingly wide open and a little soft. Um, we just didn't go there until the second half and we were already chasing the game. And I would have really liked to see us do that a little bit more in the first half, throwing those short and medium passes um, and not relying on the run as the end all be all. Obviously, um, like you were saying, the run was sort of the only thing that was working for a while. Um, but you gotta you gotta mix it up a little, even if it's even if it's not working. Sims could definitely have could have been better in that first half. Um, I thought he settled in very nicely in the second half and made some really mature throws. But that first half was oh boy, it was not fun to watch. Um, I think the the big thing he struggled with was that he didn't have Gibbs as a, as the usual safety valve on a lot of those HB angle um, uh, routes. Uh, outside on the screen, so or outside in the flat, sorry. Um, so uh, he was forced to scramble and ad lib a lot. Um, let's see what else. What else? Um, other offensive points. I mean, you you mentioned not having turnovers. That's good on the face. Um, and then you sort of look back at the game tape and realize that Tech recovered at least one of its own fumbles. So. Um, you know, those are those are very luck based, as uh, our good friend Bill Conley at ESPN likes to tell us. So uh, luck was in our favor this time. I didn't I don't have the numbers in front of you to tell you exactly how much. But I mean, I'll take it in that case. The big thing on the offensive side of the ball um, were the penalties. And I know you're going to talk about refing in a little bit, uh, especially uh, I'm sure you have some thoughts on on the. DPI calls down the down the sideline on Zamari Walton. Um, I'll, I'll speak for the offensive ones at least. The penalties were killers, especially when you're at when a drive starts at the NC State one, or at least progresses the way all the way to the NC State one, and then you come away with I think no points. That is just not good. That is absolutely terrible. Um, and there's no two ways about it. I, I will be blunt about it because you, the, the amount of expected points lost there, and I don't even have the numbers in front of me. I can just tell you just a guessing the amount of expected points of loss when you are at the one and give up and have two false starts is monumental, just monumental. Um, and I, and I think it's something we've been sort of talking about since the first bye week, uh, 
as problems that we've seen. And it's just that has not been cleaned up at all. Um, and, and it's a, I, I was saying this on Twitter too, it's been a recurring theme in each of these losses. It's uh, penalties and bet poor red zone execution and a, a lot of these other things uh, where you can see what they're trying to do, but it's these really small mental mistakes that are, that are costing them valuable field position, uh, valuable, you know, efficiency, valuable effectiveness. Yeah. All right. And, and the, go, go on with your refing spiel here. And to hedge at first, the refs are going to call a false start against Georgia Tech on the one because Georgia Tech false starts. That's not really like that's something we've seen all year and we know that's a problem for this team. I don't have issues with that. What I do have issues with is questionable opinionated calls which seem to affect Georgia Tech a lot, whether it's defensive pass interference or something else. But in this case, it was constant. Defensive pass interference. We lost DPIs or overblown whatever that consistently keeps a young team out of games. And, like, I get it. For some reason... It always happens to us. I, I For a while, I accepted this as our lot in life or whatever. But it seems no matter if it's basketball or football or even sometimes baseball, Georgia Tech just cannot Oof. catch a break. Just cannot catch a break. And I don't... Welcome to Atlanta sports, buddy. I don't... I, Enjoy I don't, it. Like, <laughs> what, the logical person inside of me goes, there's no way that there's some vast conspiracy. Because there's not. I, there's almost certainly not. But like, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Before you continue, you're a Cubs fan. You know you know about existential dread and existential, you know, lot in life kind of deal. You know, I would actually peg you as the person that would have a conspiracy theory about refing in this case. To be fair, I am one of the most superstitious sports people I know. So yes, you're right. Just a little stitious. But I don't I don't want you to be right. You know, <laughs> you know, like it's it's not a satisfying way to look at a football game and go, there's literally nothing we could have done because that was gonna get called no matter what. Because I feel like that's pretty fair of an assessment to make, right? Mm-hmm. And and when like, yeah, you can if Ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas, right? Like, you can score on the one. You can do this differently. You can do that differently. You cannot have five injured defensive starters. But, like, even when you execute something right, you're still getting called. That makes it really hard to win a football game. And, like, that doesn't excuse other things. But it's just another brick on a giant stack, you know? Are, are you saying that you're building the program brick by brick? Uh, this is a very esoteric reference. I, yes, I, 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 I get the reference. I appreciate the reference. I will allow you to explain it if you want to. But my lot in life right now is just to be flustered. Because I, I don't know. Do we win if that goes different? Heck, it might still be 23-13. If you change one play in any given game, like the entire – you can't 
leave the rest after that the same, you know, like everything's going to happen differently. It's a butterfly effect. That's how, that's how it works, you know? Um, but I don't know. It, it, it's really hard to win when you, when your offense finally clicks and you get down to the one and you shoot yourself in the foot. It's really hard to win when you defend a pass and it gets called a DPI, I think three different times in the game. You know, like oh, it was it was at least four or five. Let's be let's be clear here. It, there were a number. I'm the good cop. You know, they were picking on Zamari Walton for for a lot of the night. Yeah, and maybe I I never played the game, guys. I I'm a swimmer. I'm a water polo player. I played baseball. You know, like this is not. I, I'm the non rev writer for goodness sakes. I just sit here like all of you. And, and watch a football game with my favorite team, you know? So I'm I'm not the expert of, oh, maybe he did this X, Y, and Z thing. I'm trying to vent my frustration and what I see as something that is at least a little bit slanted. If I'm wrong, feel free to leave a comment. It's okay. You know, it's, it's this is a safe space. It's, it's okay. But, yeah, exactly. I, I, I see things in games that make me really excited for the future. I see things in the program and, and in how uh, athletic director Todd Stansbury leads the program and, and the excitement around that just say somebody like an Andy Demetra or Sean Bedford or Wiley Ballard brings, brings to being a tech fan, you know, and being, being around something where you see something exciting, but the frustrating stuff still happens, you know, the, the, uh, it's the same stuff as always until the ACC changed the rule. Oh, of course, Duke's going to get the, the bye week before tech, you know, stuff like that, that just never really seems to go away. Obviously that in that case did, but like you can get a new coach, you can 404 the culture all you want, but like some things never change, you know? Uh, yeah. Just, uh, I, I don't know. I'll play a little bit of devil's advocate. I know I'm uh, pushing my luck here, but I think some of those, I, I think the, there were a couple of those who were definitely 50-50 uh, DPI calls. There were a couple of other ones, and, and the one I'm thinking about specifically is the one where the NC State receiver made the catch out of bounds uh, but still got the call, where it looked very suspiciously like he pushed off out of bounds yep. to make the catch and then it sort of left uh, the the defensive back hanging and out to dry. And it's... I agree that it's very frustrating. Like it, it it's well, just demoralizing at a certain level to watch, right? What's yeah. That? Well, and and to see something that could be OPI turn into DPI, that's a big swing, you know? Yeah. And, and again, I wish I had like the expected point swings to to really tell you how important these were, but it it's just it's demoralizing to watch as a fan when you get some of these calls that go against you, and then you also get a lot of them that go against you in the same game and they all look frankly similar um i i will say that part of it is is going to be nc state's best receiver um paired up against i i think walton was paired up against him most of the night um and sometimes it felt like you know uh the receiver was just out physicaling him um and maybe one or two of those are like legit DPI calls, but you, I mean, when, when both corners are, or when both players are hand fighting, like you can't throw the flag there. Like that's, that's something that we see 
at a lot of levels of football. Um, you can't throw the flag when you see both players engaged the whole way down the field and the corner turns his head properly. Um, and we saw that a couple of times and, and that, that was disappointing for me. Um, just for, to sort of tie the, that, tie the bow on. I want to make one last point for all that we yeah, go, go about Jeff Collins, coach him up better to, you know, not get a, a, a false start or, or something like that. In this case, his corners, I like how they execute a lot. And and it sucks to see them get negatively reinforced for that, you know. Yeah, and and I think on on top of that, something that we touched on last week was Chase Bryce sort of bombing it every chance that he could um, against man coverage on the sidelines, and and Bailey Hockman did the exact same thing with Zamari Walton um, and, and the receiver he was covering, who I can't remember the name of, um, and. Uh, the thing is, they didn't call pass interference last week, but they called pass interference this week. So um, it's the it's more or less the same exact game plan. I, I didn't actually touch on it because I was going to segue into talking about the defense. But like when Hockman was able to set his feet and throw, he was able to make some pr- like really nice throws. Um, the problem is that they came at our expense. Um, yep. And that's that's super frustrating because it was again, the exact same uh, like coverage, like coverage mistakes. Like you saw him find receivers sitting in the seams between zones. You saw him um, hitting receivers on comeback routes uh, as the pocket broke down. Um, I think at the end of the day, like you were saying way before when we were starting the podcast or starting this segment, um, like this was a really good performance from a very depleted group of guys. Um, Tech had something along the lines of 54 active scholarship players available, which is, uh, I think, one above the minimum. Um, so, I mean, a Herculean effort. And I think I said this on Twitter. It's not the defense that lost this game for Tech. You can argue that, especially at the very end, with the last couple of stops that they got, they kept Tech in it. And it was an admirable, admirable effort from the guys that were in and even the guys that were playing through injury because we had a lot of guys go down with cramping um, and, and soreness and 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 just fatigue. Uh, yeah. And and you saw them play through it and and really put tech in a play in a position to to finish off that comeback. And it was just it was just not meant to be. Um, uh, special teams just to put the tie the bow on this game um kickoff coverage was okay i didn't really see a ton of problems with that um gavin stewart was perfect on kicks uh he's still perfect on kicks after the triple bye week which is fantastic and i genuinely applaud him for it i know we gave him a lot of grief earlier this season um but he is really he's rounded into form and that's really awesome to see uh on the flip side of that though uh i I don't have any insider knowledge on this, but my gut feeling is that Percy Harvin is not, still not absolutely 100%. Um, we did see a couple of shaky punts uh, in this game from him. Uh, so hopefully he's back to full punting strength uh, on Thursday for Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, I mean, as, as he goes, we go. Um, if you... I said, oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I said this when he got recruited. You don't ever want to give up the ball, but if you do, you want to have the best guy back there doing it. 
Um, and I, I think that him at full strength would definitely definitely be helpful. But I don't, I don't know. It was good to see him back out there too. So definitely an improvement over Duke. And good on Austin for filling in when he when he had to. But we all know that our large punting son is is our large punting son. You know. Yeah, and and Kent's still doing the kickoffs. So and, and kickoff, just the the. the what am I talking about? The length of the kickoffs, the distance of the kickoffs has been much better than last year. I think we're yeah. still consistently hitting the five instead of the 10 when that kick comes down. Um, and sometimes there are touchbacks, which, you know, we only had like three of those last season. So I will take what I can get. Um, but I, it's the it's the punk coverage and the kickoff coverage that I think are the questionable parts of the special teams unit. And the S&P rank really showcases that. Uh, we were 119th the last time I checked, and this week we are 117th um, in terms of special teams. So there, there's a long way to go and a lot of improvement that, that can be made there. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think we'll start to see that, too. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's something that we need to grow a lot. I, th- I think having a special teams co- coordinator would help that, too. But, you know. It'll fall off whenever Presley does leave, but in terms of the other stuff around it, I, w- I would hope that there's not much else to go other than up there, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of improvements that can be made and the timeline to make them in, Pittsburgh is coming up on Thursday. Uh, that will be Actually, that will be December 10th at 7 p.m. on your local RSN. Um, Pitt is coming off of a bye week, and Tech is obviously coming off of the short week of playing on Saturday. Uh, Our friends in the desert have Pittsburgh favored by six. Uh, SP Plus uh, has Pitt favored by three. Side note, we should really start calling our friends uh, uh, like Bill Connolly and everyone at ESPN, our friends in Connecticut, just like we call uh, uh, the Vegas boys, our friends in the desert. I think those two play very nicely off of each other. Uh, and just to round out the group, FPI has Pitt uh, winning 73% of the time. So, Mr. Grant, with the uh, just over five minutes that we have left on our timer here. Give me your high-level take on what you want to see from this game. Well, first, if you have a lane, you have a chance. Um, love that. Um, you know, you might be favored to lose 73% of the time, but, you know, 27% ain't bad either. I, I think Georgia Tech definitely has a path to win. I think from the defensive side, other than the DPIs, it looks a lot similar to how it does last week. Um we do have a built-in advantage of not playing a tobacco road school on the road. Ha <laughs> ha, funny jokes. But uh, yeah, no, like I said, I think it it looks the same. You know, Pitt is a, a pretty defensive-minded program. It, it shows in the numbers. Obviously, their special teams is very high based on SP+. Plus. But, you know, th- their defense is their calling card. And uh, what what happens when a a team of a defense goes up against a team that has looked defensively pretty good. It's last two games. Well, whose offense is going to step up? And, and and I think Georgia Tech has the capability to do that. Um, I'd love to see mm-hmm. you back. I don't really know what's up there. 
Um, but we do have a lot in the stable. Um, I'd love to see Adonicus back. Uh, like I said, uh, or not Adonicus, Amari and Brown back. Um, sorry, force of habit. Uh, Adonicus looked really good, but maybe if he has another week like he did, um, things look a little bit different. You know, it's uh, a couple caught passes can really change a game. Um, and I think Georgia Tech on a Thursday night under the lights, uh, it, may, it may be chilly, but we – we we have we have a we have a lane here, you know. It is, I think, the latest home game at Bobby Dodd Stadium ever. I I don't have the you're the history guy, so uh, you tell me if that's right. But it it sure does sound like the latest home game or latest in the season, not latest by time, uh, home game at Bobby Dodd ever. Well, it is the latest uh, uh, as in most recent, <laughs> but no, it, it almost certainly is. I don't think we've played any games this late into the season off the top of my head. Um, at least at Bobby Dodd, there are a couple of years where we started the season later in the year, but we also didn't play 12 games in a, in a season. Well, I guess we're only playing 11, but you get the point. Like season was shorter. So if you start September 23rd, you know, you're only playing 10 games. You're still not playing on December 10th. Um, I'll look into that. territory. Uh, Exactly. I, I, I'll get a look on that, and I will get back to us. But I'm almost certain that um, that that is the case. That this is the most uh, the most chilly December game we'll ever have played. It'll be like October in the Midwest. Perfect. Oh, stop it! It's like the two weeks in Atlanta where it gets below freezing. Don't be dramatic. Uh, well, you know me. Never dramatic ever. All right, just just to sort of recap my thoughts, Jake said it best. I think Pitt is a very defensive-minded team. Pat Narduzzi is like the poster child for uh, defensive-minded head coaches, conservative play calling on offense, um, notably for his uh, proclivity to kick field goals while down multiple touchdowns. Uh, I don't think that proclivity is going to come into play in during this game. Um, like you said, I think it comes down to the offensive execution which Kenny Pickett shows up for Pitt. Is it going to be good Kenny or bad Kenny? Um, it, it just so happens that Tech, every time they play Pittsburgh, they get good Kenny. Um, I'm really hoping that uh, Kenny has used up his good boy points this uh, this season because uh, a win for the last home game on the flats this season would uh, would sure be nice. I, I know I know you'd you'd definitely like one, seeing as this will be your last home game as a student. Yeah. Um, also props to facilities. They're going to pull off something great this weekend in, uh, having fans in for football on Thursday, having, uh, grad ceremonies Friday, Saturday outdoors at Bobby Dodd. Um, so I think it, we, we as, uh, alumnuses slash students, uh, slash future second alumnuses of the school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get ahead of yourself there. Hey, I already graduated once. I, just just uh, once. Um, what was I going to say? Um, but we, we really appreciate all the work that goes in behind the scenes, uh, from more of our, uh, we, we will shout out Chris May twice a day until the sun, uh, stops shining. But, uh, you know, just the, the unsung heroes of athletics facilities, Georgia Tech facilities, and, uh, and just all that for pulling it off. 30 seconds, Mr. Grant, anything else you want to talk about before we wrap it up for tonight? Uh, Nebraska ball uh, this Wednesday at 
7.15 on ESPNU. Um, and then if you're really uh, itching for sports, you got <laughs> women tipping off their ACC schedule right about the same time. And then another game uh, against Notre Dame on a Sunday. But other than that, if you're a student listening, good luck on finals. If you're not, go order your Christmas gifts. That's what I got. Yeah, we should uh, all do that. Uh, homefieldapparel.com, not an actual sponsor, but uh, definitely a site we love, and we want to get some more attention. Yep, agreed. All right, Mr. Grant, we will see, or I will see you later this week to talk about more Georgia Tech sports. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we will see you again soon. Bye.